the older you get, the more underrated naps get, in my opinion. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Baskets Bubble, the podcast about the NBA and life inside the Walt Disney World bubble. I'm Matthew and I'm joined as always by my beloved co-host Bodie. Bodie, how are you doing today? What's up, Matthew? How are you doing? I'm doing well. We are recording on Sunday, August 23rd at 5.07 Central Time. As we speak, the Dallas Mavericks and the Los Angeles Clippers are in the fourth quarter, so things may change by the time we get halfway through this uh, recording. So stay tuned for the excitement with that. So let's start with the news, Bodie. So we're recording on Sunday, August 23rd. You will hear this on the 24th if you are a diligent listener. The Today is, the, is Kobe Bryant's birthday. And as most of you know, back in... January 26th. Oh, January 26th. I was in a movie theater when I found out, by the way. I was installing a ceiling fan. And I saw a random thing on Twitter about... It was like a very, very TMZ style. Like, I'm pretty sure Kobe is in an airplane, is in a helicopter that just crashed. And I immediately turned on CNN. I actually went to ESPN first and they were not talking about it. And so I flipped to CNN and CNN was not saying who was in this helicopter, but they were just showing this massive helicopter crash and were reporting that a helicopter crashed in Southern California. And I thought, well, why are, I mean, like, this is obviously news, but why is this CNN news? And once the sources confirmed what had actually happened, it was really pretty shocking. Yeah, the tweets were weird for a while. It was just like, mm, do I believe that? Or is that one of those, just somebody threw words together and was like, that'd be a fun thing to tweet, which sounds insensitive, but really it just, it, I, it didn't make since the way that we're used to getting big news from a tweet because we've been conditioned right now. And I sat in that movie theater. The movie hadn't started yet, but I think I would have broke my no phone rule if the movie had been going. I was scrolling through trying to get news. I stepped out. I called. I might have called my mother. I don't remember. I called somebody. It was just, yeah, it was, well, as we are, finding out now it's a moment we will remember where we were yeah when you look back on kobe bryant's career obviously came out as a uh as a, as a high schooler uh one of the first really big immediate stars coming out of high school and really kind of set the pace for people like lebron james and dwight howard and those sort of players who made the jump from high school to the nba and really made it seem like something that could actually happen. When you look back on moments in Kobe's career, is there anything that really sticks out to you immediately? For better and worse, he is the maybe the only heir apparent we will ever have to Michael Jordan, who for better and worse was Michael Jordan. I mean, there are so many things about both of those guys to respect and love the the toughness, the 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 work ethic, the will just the absolute will and Kobe more than Jordan it got I and Kobe lost games because of that Kobe lost teammates because of that but he 
won because of it too. He it's why he continues to be one of the most lightning rod players we've ever had in the league. If you love him, you love him completely. He's a religion. If you don't like him, if you think he was bad for the game in a way or isn't the type of player you really want as a teammate, you still can't argue with a lot of the results that he had. It's one. It's a very strange career, but it's one of the top 10 careers we've ever had in the NBA. It's perfect for Kobe. It's, it's perfect for who he was. If you are living under a rock, you may not have seen this, but thankfully none of you are. And you saw that the NBA has awarded the coach of the year to the Toronto Raptors coach, Nick Nurse. We were talking just off mic right before this that Nick Nurse is also the only coach to have won NBA Coach of the Year and NBA D-League Coach of the Year. So this guy has proven himself time and time again that he knows what he's doing. He's just amazing in what he does. The Coming in to a new situation last year with one year of Kawhi Leonard on the team, not knowing if he would continue with, with the squad, winning a title out of it, and then this year losing Kawhi Leonard. And it's like the team didn't miss a beat. In a lot of ways, he's like that annoying high school coach that just throws out junk defenses all the time. And you hate them, but they win. So, I mean, how mad can you really be at them? The answer is very mad, but it works. It works. And Nick Nurse is certainly not above throwing out junk defenses. He's he's not had his fair all. share of... Half court presses, one three ones, box and one. I think at one point in time they played against somebody. Yes, and he. I think they they ran triangle and two last year in the finals against the Warriors. And he, his greatest accomplishment may be getting Fred Van Vliet a max contract. <laughs> Fred Van Vliet. All right. So as you all well know, we are well into round one of the NBA playoffs. We're going to start on the East. The East has been uh, not terribly surprising, but uh, has been a little more lopsided than I anticipated, I think. Let's look first. The number one versus the number eight Milwaukee Bucks and the Orlando Magic. The Orlando Magic surprised, I think, a lot of us, including Budenholzer, the coach, uh, when they when they won that game. But the Bucks are now up uh, two games to one in the series and play game four on Monday. Yeah, the Bucks are in control. That I mean, Last year, game one, the Magic beat the Raptors. In, in the first round, and then the Raptors took care of business after that. Things happen. The Magic aren't a bad team, as we talked about in the in the preview. They just didn't have a chance of winning this series, and we're seeing that now. Do you think that the that the Bucks kind of didn't take the the Magic very seriously in that in that first game, and kind of led to the surprise loss? I think it had more to do with the, and this goes to bubble life. There was a James Ennis of the Magic talked about how Giannis had this ferocious dunk early on in the game. And usually when that happens, I mean, that would have been in Milwaukee had this been a normal playoffs. The crowd would have been going nuts. You would have been unnerved as an opponent. And that next position, good chance you go down and 
turn the ball over or take a bad shot. Magic came down and hit a three. I mean, there was there was nothing to there was nothing to really get them unnerved except for the play itself. But you see that kind of stuff all the time as an NBA player. It was a perfect storm of the bubble being weird, but also the Magic just playing. They played really well. I mean, they they played great, and the Bucks just hadn't come out and with that playoff intensity yet, which was to be expected. Speaking of James Ennis, we saw in the in the Game 3 matchup, James Ennis of the Orlando Magic and Marvin Williams of the Milwaukee Bucks got into quite a kerfuffle on the floor, which led to a coach from the Milwaukee Bucks making his way all the way across the court to break them up, doing so in a, quite a dramatic fashion. I tweeted this, but my favorite part of this whole incident was watching the uh, the referee, who was a good foot shorter than both of these players getting in there as though he were going to be the one to end this discussion between the two of them. Uh, it's it's interesting to see that sort of matchup happen. And you see it inside of the bubble where once again, you know, if this were on somebody's home court, the crowd would have been in utter chaos. But inside the bubble, the crowd noise was just as programmatic as normal. Next up, we have the number two Toronto Raptors and the number seven Brooklyn Nets. Uh, Raptors are currently up three games to nothing. Game four is happening later this evening, uh, and I will give an update uh, in post-production on the final score of that one. But you had talked about how the Brooklyn Nets had the potential of maybe turning a game over and winning one, uh, and it looks like they have certainly tried their damnedest, but Toronto's good. Yeah. Toronto was very good. Uh, I I stand by it. I think Brooklyn really could have taken a game. And if they win tonight, I, I wouldn't be surprised by that either. Future Matthew here reporting to say that Bodie should be surprised. Toronto beat Brooklyn 150 to 122 to sweep the series. Uh, of all the teams in the bubble, except for Miami, I would say Toronto one that has come in and just taking care of business in these playoffs just no and they're not suffering any fools yeah no doubt about that next game in the eastern conference uh the number three boston celtics number six 76ers the celtics swept the philadelphia 76ers earlier today this is kind of what we expected uh without ben simmons joel Embiid looked good but he had nobody, nobody around him to really kind of make it happen. I heard somebody from The Ringer say that at the end of every game, you seem to hear people say about Joel Embiid, like, oh, I'd just really love to see a little bit more out of Joel Embiid. And if you say that after every game, I think we're kind of starting to realize that, like, maybe he's giving it all he has and it's just not quite enough, right? I hope. Well, I don't know what I hope. Maybe I hope it's that because then it's not a sign on his character. But I I want him to be what we think he can be, which is the best player in the league. And he shows us glimpses of it. He's like if Jeff Green was an actual all-star. <laughs> it's like, oh, you are great. And then where'd you go? I, I didn't know you were out there for a few minutes. Some of my bias is going to come through here as a Boston fan, but I try to say this as objectively as possible. 
I am not terribly impressed with Joel Embiid. Every time I see him play, and granted, it's usually only against the Boston Celtics, but he just seems to be like missing just a little bit of oomph. If his team gets down, if you know things start going not his way, he just kind of slumps around the floor. And, and, and I don't see that sort of tenacity from Joel Embiid that one of the greatest players in the NBA ought to have on the court. Am I seeing that wrong? No, I think you're right. And that goes into news that we expect to come here soon with we we think Philly is going to fire head coach Brett Brown, who has been there for, I believe, eight years. There was a talk recently about what happens when you come into the league on a team where you are expected to lose. And it's okay to lose. Not that you want to, but the first few years Embiid was in the league, Philly was... Trusting the process. Yeah, exactly. They were purposefully bad. And winning 12 games or 15 games was part of the plan because it would get them a high draft pick and then they could just build from there. And you wonder what kind of mental, maybe not mental toll, but what kind of breakdown that has in in your spirit to go out there and really fight to win games. Well, it almost feels like a pyramid scheme of this idea that like, okay, if we just do this long enough, like we'll eventually get on top, right? But we've been going at this for eight or nine years now at this point. And and at some point you either have to quit the pyramid scheme or you have to try something else. (laughs) That's actually a good one because they even showed showed the NBA comparison of what double-digit returns would be on an investment. And they they got multiple all-stars. They jumped to the playoffs really fast. They had a title contender last year and they were expected to be a title contender this year. And yeah, it's on Embiid for not being the player we think he could be. It's on Brett Brown for really just not being the coach to take them over the top. He's not, I, he was great for them and building them up to where they were. He just wasn't the guy they needed to take over. But then it's on stuff like Sam Hinkie getting booted away from the team because of the way it looked like he was perverting the ways of winning in basketball. It's on the Jerry Colangelo burner accounts on Twitter. <laughs> it's just stuff up and down all the way through. And when we talked about this maybe being the most depressing series of the first round, this is why you could just see it. You could just see it coming. Well, you also have to wonder if someone like Elton Elton Brand, who just became the general manager in 2018, if you watched the tail end of that Celtics Sixers game, you saw Elton Brand kind of you know, George Michael Bluth off of the basketball court with 45 seconds left because he's probably out the door right next to Brett Brown. So, you know, there's there's probably going to be a whole lot of turnover in the front office there in Philadelphia. And we may see guys like Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid think twice about their allegiance to Philadelphia as well. Well, and let's talk about Boston for a second yeah because if we have to uh, well I, I think we should they they were great they did exactly what they were supposed to do they blew out philly in one game and they took 
the whatever punches Philly had left took him standing and punched right back and they I they knocked him out. They did not give Philly the breathing room that they the hope that they really needed. And they did a lot of that without Gordon Hayward, one of their top four scorers and and a perennial guy to be a release valve when Jason Tatum or Kimball Walker are having a little bit of a slump. Uh, having Gordon Hayward be able to hit that uh, free throw extended jump shot when you really need someone to pick up a shot is huge. And losing him in game two really made a lot of Boston fans nervous because as much as we all love Marcus Smart, Marcus Smart is not in there to be an occasional jump shooter. He that thinks you he need. is. Well, he, he may think so, but he is not. Uh, he's out there for his defensive tenacity and his ability to really rile up the other team, but he is not the kind of score that you get from Gordon Hayward. And so that certainly brought a lot of concern to fans, but after Gordon Hayward's exit to see them, I think it was the next game, it was game three when they totally blew Philadelphia out of the water and you thought, okay, well, maybe... Maybe we can hold this together. So I'll be interested to see what happens uh, in this next round, assuming Toronto is the victor of that series, to see what kind of matchups we see there. But we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. Next series we have is the four and the five in the East, which is the Indiana Pacers and the Miami Heat. Bodie, I believe that you said that Miami was certainly going to win this series. And it's been fairly disappointing if you're someone who at least wanted to see a good matchup. Indiana has looked really soft and obviously the loss of Sabonis has been a huge blow to that team, but Jimmy Butler and the Miami heat have just been pardon the pun putting on the heat and have been looking really, really impressive. You hit it at the beginning with Sabonis being out and add to that Oladipo not being back to what he was, but Miami really is just, they're, they're a class above of Indiana. I, uh, Indiana has fought in all three games so far. They've tried. It's just, they're, they're just not as good. And Miami is not going to beat themselves. They're, they're going to make you earn everything. And that's, that goes to who Jimmy Butler is as a player, to who Eric Spolster is as a coach, to Pat Riley up there in the front office. It's really kind of a perfect melding of identity on that team. And all the role players, all these young guys have taken their cues from that. What do we think about a guy like Kendrick Nunn, who was in the running for Rookie of the Year this year, has hardly seen the floor at all in these playoffs and and not very much in the bubble either. What does that say about this Miami team and his place on that squad? I think it says a lot about just what it means to be a young player or especially a young point guard in the playoffs. If you have, and they have Goran Dragic, they have Jimmy Butler and Tyler Hero and Duncan Robinson have earned all the minutes that they need. they're, They're a really deep team and playing a young point guard is a risky thing. It's not something that a lot of coaches would trust in the playoffs unless it's a generational superstar like Luka Doncic in his second year or something like that. None is no Doncic. No, no, certainly not. 
Let's go over to the Western Conference now. We look at the number one versus the number eight, the Lakers and the Blazers. The Blazers looked pretty solid earlier in the series, but it seems as the series progresses, the more that the light is fading out of Damian Lillard's shot and Yusuf Nurkic's shoulders to barrel people over. Well, Bodie, what are your thoughts on this series so far? Nurkic's shoulders, he looks tired. He looks so tired. Portland has been going all out for weeks now. Every game's been so important, and I, I think they are tired. I think we really saw that late in the game last night. I, I said in the preview, the Lakers are the team with the two guys who you could say are the best player in the world. Lillard could definitely be the best player in the series, but he's never mistaken for the best player in the world. And Portland doesn't have an answer for LeBron or AD, whereas the Lakers, they don't have an answer for Lillard, but they have made it really, really hard on him. And he's he, he's had to work tremendously to get any open shots. And after a while, you're going to miss some of them. Even Damian Lillard will miss some shots. Yeah, it's been interesting to see that the thing that the Lakers really have going for them is that, yes, you can shut down LeBron James from a shooting standpoint, but he's just going to throw pocket passes to AD or lobs to AD, and he's going to take over. And once they say, oh, God, we really got to shut down AD, okay, he's going to kick it out to LeBron. And so having two absolutely phenomenal players on one team, nobody really has the firepower to stop both of those players simultaneously for a full series. And I think, I mean, as as hard as those Blazers are playing right now, I think they're really running on empty and starting to, to really feel that, just that lack of energy. Whereas Lakers came into this, into the bubble and we're really able to coast in a lot of ways and take time to build up to where they needed to be right now. And the Blazers had to come in running a hundred miles an hour from the beginning. So I think we're starting to see the effects of both of those things happening. So they are inbounding with 3.7 seconds. I can't, I think that's Finney Smith inbounding gets into Luca guarded by Reggie Jackson, step back three, Splash. Fantastic. Okay. Okay. And a boy, Luca. He's good. He, my gosh, he's good. <laughs> okay. I, I think you should just talk about that. <laughs> just start with, start with that. And then we can go from there. Number two seed in the West, Los Angeles Clippers against the number seven Dallas Mavericks. As of five minutes ago, the Dallas Mavericks tied the series to a piece. Guys, playoff P is just not living up to a self-proclaimed name. As our as our buddy Charles Barkley said the other night on TNT, they don't call me Championship Chuck. I don't know why they call him Playoff P. Buddy, what the hell is going on with Paul George and Kawhi and those Los Angeles Clippers, man? First, the Mavericks. The Mavericks are what are happening to them most of all. My gosh, Luka is good. Porzingis is good. He didn't even play today. Seth Curry, Tim Hardaway Jr. There's one other player that was hitting a bunch of shots there in the fourth quarter that I don't remember who it was. It's just this whole 
squad of players that helped form the greatest offense in NBA regular season history coming out and thinking they can really win this series. And maybe they really can win this series. What was that thing about a Greek tragedy and fate that we said last week? Oh, oh I know, I know. But <laughs> there's still there's still three games left for this to get really bad. I mean... <laughs> I mean that's real that's real Greek tragedy, right? You look fantastic for two games, you get everybody's hopes up, and then it all just falls apart. Yeah, I mean if Luca's ankle ends up breaking, then <laughs> I will have to stop doing basketball podcasts. <laughs> but you're also right about Paul George. I and mean, Kawhi is out here just he's doing Kawhi, but Paul George has a history of coming up short way 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 short in big games and nine points today uh, that's which is not i don't think that's even new for him in this series if i if i remember right it's yeah there's playoff p is chuck was right to poke fun at that in the last three games of this series paul george has scored nine points 11 points and 14 points Meanwhile, Luka Doncic on in game four scored 43 points, had 17 rebounds and 13 assists. There's not a lot of teams who can like put together that sort of lineup on uh, a bad ankle on a bad ankle without Kristaps Porzingis. He is the new superstar. He is the guy that's going to take the league into the future. He's sealing that now. I don't know what's going to happen this series. I don't. I, I would still pick the Clippers, but I really don't know what's going to happen. Yeah, I this is certainly this is certainly the series to watch for for this week to see what happens on Tuesday is going to be a hell of a matchup. That's for sure. For sure. Next in the playoffs, we have the number three Nuggets and the number six Jazz. The Nuggets have looked very bad. They haven't had a ton of chemistry. We've seen Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic look pretty solid, but that Utah Jazz team looks really, really good. Donovan Mitchell has just gone off like crazy in this playoff matchup, and the Utah Jazz were without Mike Conley for the first two games of this series, and he came back with a vengeance. He was so excited to get out there on the floor. Looked great in game three. The Jazz are up two games to one. Game four is happening this evening. Bodie, your thoughts on this series? Mike Conley is doing the Fred Van Vliet and having a kid and all of a sudden becoming great. Utah, they look like they know who they are. Denver looks like they are confused. Jokic looked really bad defensively in game three not that he's a great defender but just like the worst Jokic could be on defense they have injuries they're missing some wing guys which has meant playing time for Michael Porter Jr. which is good when he's hitting shots but bad whenever he has to play defense which is half the time yeah more or less this has been the fun series for NBA geeks and nerds to really focus on because it's it's not all these superstars, it's really, it's two teams with different styles really going at it, having to execute their way to stuff. And so far, Utah's the one executing every play. It's interesting to look back on the conversation I had with Ronnie Brewer and the and the conversation that we had about 
coaching was really interesting because he pointed out that when I asked him, would Jerry Sloan be able to coach in this kind of NBA? And he said, 100%, absolutely. And he talked a lot about how, you know, Jerry Sloan used to say, the pick and roll worked before I got here. The pick and roll worked with me. And I'll be damned it's going to work after I leave. And we're seeing that with Quinn Snyder and these Utah Jazz, that the pick and roll with Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell and the pick and roll with Mike Conley, it's working and it's it's borderline unstoppable in a lot of ways. Even Joe Ingles handling yeah. the ball all of a sudden looks like, I mean, Ingles has been good for years, but he's he looked like an all-star those first few games when Conley was out and he had to handle the ball more. Yeah, they they are executing perfectly in the pick and roll. Uh, up and down the court, Gobert is getting to the rim. Their shooters are hitting everything, it feels like. Royce O'Neal has had himself a series. It's been fun to watch Rudy Gobert. He's not someone who normally puts the ball on the floor and takes a couple dribbles, but he's had to do that two or three times and hasn't looked like a fool doing it. And so it must give you comfort as a Jazz fan to say like, okay, Rudy Gobert can do more than just be a defensive presence on the floor. He can he can make a play if he has to. And uh, yeah, this Utah team has really been impressing me on the West side for sure. This last series we have is between the Houston Rockets and the Oklahoma City Thunder. Rockets are up two games to one. They play on Monday. This has been more or less the series we expected. OKC won the game on Saturday, and it's really the first time that we have seen Oklahoma City firing on all cylinders. They had four players with 20 points. 20 point games are we going to see more of this game three thunder team or are we going to see more of this game one and two rockets team Bodie? so i must admit ignorance and say that i did not see any of game three because people have to work from what i hear okc changed up and went small in game three to match what houston was doing and try to find a different way to play and it, it sounds like it worked so they definitely have guys who can do that. But Houston's bet has been if you try to match us, that means you're playing your sixth best player, your seventh best player, or eighth best player to do that while they're still playing their five best players in that style. Maybe OKC has hit on something, but this is what Houston has bet on. This is what they think they can do better than anybody else in the league. So game four is game four will be a lot of fun to see what the matchups will be. So this week's thanks COVID is about NBA playoff marketing material. So far this year, I haven't seen any any of the networks do it, but many years in the past, they have chosen one particular song to play over every commercial or every intro to a game or the studio show, Linkin Park, Kendrick Lamar, people like that, you know, like culturally relevant people. The first one that I ever encountered was back in 2005 when I was starting to get into the league more and more. And ABC, which was broadcasting the finals that year, chose of all songs, former Matchbox 20 artist, Rob Thomas, to be their song of the playoffs. And they chose 
This is How a Heart Breaks, a fine song, an NBA song, eh, that I let, let that be up to you. But every year, this is what I think of with the playoffs, along with other things that I will say for a future things COVID. There is a little bit of history for me with that song and who I was at the time of the 2005 NBA playoffs. I was a 14-year-old going into my sophomore year of high school. And the previous fall, I had discovered who the actress Eva Longoria was, thanks to the new ABC nighttime soap opera, Desperate Housewives. So I was invested in the San Antonio Spurs more than I had ever really been, but not because I wanted them to win, because I wanted them to lose. I, I didn't like Tony Parker because he was with Eva Longoria, and I was not. So that song, This Is How a Heart Breaks, in my mind, 14-year-old me listened to that song and thought, Tony Parker, your heart's going to break. You're going to lose her. Well, he didn't lose her anytime soon, but it leads us to one of the weirder NBA stories ever when Tony Parker was caught in a sexting scandal with teammate Brent Barry's wife, which led to a dissolution of both marriages, I believe, if I am right. And update, I am still not with Eva Longoria. This is how Heartbreak was, is, and always will be about my heart. Thanks, COVID. And now we're at last possession. If you're just wading into the waters of the NBA for the first time during this season of depleted sports, there's one person who I feel confident will convince you to stick around and keep watching. His name is Boban. Boban Marjanovic is the seven foot four Serbian backup center for the Dallas Mavericks. But I think he'd be okay with you just calling him Boban. This man is the epitome of delight. He's constantly smiling, he's a joy to watch on the court, and he's just nice. After Game 2 of the Clippers-Mavericks game, Boban was interviewed by the TNT crew. Shaquille O'Neal, Ernie Johnson, Kenny Smith, and Charles Barkley. And he was just so excited to be there. I'll post the YouTube link of the full interview at basketbubble.com. Here's a few memorable clips from that interview, though. Is it true that your mom is 5'3 and your dad is 5'4? Something yes, like that? Yes, this is true. But by the way, I'm first time here and I'm nervous and I'm scared <laughs> because, because my headphones don't fit on my ears and my head. You know, like I was like, I, I, I hope so. I know. I, if I broke it, I'll buy a new one, I promise. You know, like I was like, you know, if, if I have a lot, lot of coaches in my career and everybody, everybody tell me to, everybody, everybody, I learn something from every coach and uh, I hope so. I know to shoot, but I never shoot often and, uh, and I, I was still working on that, working progress, loading three dots. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Boban, we were talking, they were talking during the game, Chris Webb was talking about the other night when Pozingas got tossed, you walked him up the ramp. And he said, just talking to people in the organization, you have been a great mentor to him. Is that true? 
I hope so. If he said that, I, I guess I will take it. <laughs> but you know, like <laughs> because I, I need to calm down. I, I, like he don't want to do something stupid. Like learn his mistake and uh, and you know we, we got his back. Thank you because of all teammates because he do that for that. But he need to be smart next game and because he's big engine and we need him. Relax and uh, see you next game. Tell me about the joy you get out of playing this game and and, and playing it in this league. You know, I I think I enjoy every moment because I have like up and down stuff, and I, I was I was play like first Serbian league, I tried to go out from there, and like you know, I, I learned to enjoy in my life, enjoying every moment. If I play, I be on the court and enjoying this game. If I don't play, I be on the bench and enjoying to help my teammates. If I if I not active, I be to help them in a the locker room and uh, try to like you know like try to enjoy my time and uh, because like I'm blessed with my high, I'm blessed with my with my not speed, but you know, still, still smartness in, in my basketball game, and uh, I really enjoy. I try to enjoy in every moment and uh, to have a smile on my face. This is like all, all about. And thank you guys because choose me and not Luca. First time. Okay. <laughs> I mean, come on, how can you not love this guy? Richard Dreitch of the Athletic wrote a piece on Friday about how Boban is the kind of guy TV executives look for when it comes to personality, knowledge, and empathy, and it's true. Imagine Boban wandering around the bubble with a TNT microphone, interviewing teammates, opponents, sitting ice water pool to ice water pool with Montrez, Harold, just shooting the breeze. This is grade A television just waiting to happen. When we heard that bit about Boban walking Kristaps Porzingis up the ramp after his ejection, I had this image in my head of Boban in a red sweater, arm around KP, reminding him that it's okay to be mad sometimes, but not to be controlled by his emotions. Boban might just be the Mr. Rogers that this bubble needs. And I tell you what, I think we could all use a neighbor like Boban in our lives right about now. Basketball is hosted by Matthew Moore, that's me, and Bodie, that's him. Our theme song is by Bad Snacks. Join us next week as we hash out the remainder of the first round of the playoffs and whatever other drama comes forward in the coming days. Stay safe out there, Bubbletonians. We'll see you next week.